0: we are a community that loves like jesus and my hope and my prayer is that this time would be a transformative space for you not just today but every time you tune in today we're continuing our sermon series called the best stories ever and today's sermon is the prodigal son jesus has this beautiful story of the prodigal son about a father's relationship with his boys, and what happens in rebellion, and more importantly, what happens when God's love is lavished out on a person. It illustrates powerful principles in order to rightly relate to people, to children, and to our friends that rebel, maybe walk away, and they come back. Well, there's some principles here that I want to teach you about the importance of raising our emotional maturity and awareness when it comes to others and why they do what they do and how they run away and why they run away. The reality is is that friends and people in general run away from accountability. People run away from relational difficulty. It actually is normal. All of us have done it. All of us have ignored conflict. Maybe you've run away from accountability or just a difficult situation that you haven't wanted to deal with. Sometimes it's easy to leave. Well, I would say that there's stages to relational, uh, relational difficulty and conflict. Usually by the time we're leaving, if we're emotionally mature, something has progressed over a long period of time. But the stages of relational conflict or rebellion, one of the greatest fears that we have in conflict in relationships generally or parent to child or spouse to spouse or friend to friend is that our loved ones would rebel and go away. So rebellion is one thing, but leaving in the midst of that rebellion is extremely painful. Well, you would say, well, all all kids rebel and all kids leave. Well, I would say that that's not necessarily true, that all kids rebel. I've seen, statistically too, and I've known personally, we've seen people from terrible homes and dysfunctional families become very well-balanced adults. We've seen kids come from bad homes, become train wrecks by bad choices and decisions, and they've copied what they've learned maybe at home. We've seen people come from solid backgrounds and very loving situations. They've made huge mistakes, and they've made bad choices in their life. Well, today we're not going to focus on so much why do people and kids and friends and loved ones why do they rebel and leave or, or run away? We have a lot of answers to that already, and we, we're going to spend a lifetime trying to gain more. But today we're going to talk about what happens, when it happens, and when they return. What, hap- what do we do when it happens? How do we respond when somebody rebels and goes away? And then when they return, how do we respond in that situation as well? Well, the story of the prodigal son gives us lots of hope if this ever occurs in our life. Now, my prayer is that all of our friendships would remain intact, that we would have healthy relationships in our lives. That our spouse relationships, our marriages would be healthy and our parental relationships would always be ever evolving and increasing and moving towards godliness. Well, the reality is, is that we all make mistakes and people do what people do and some people walk away and some people get angry and some people just avoid conflict and can't work it out. Well, some of us were prodigals. Some of us were the ones that ran away. And I want us to take this story and really just sift through what what do we need to do to make things right with our loved ones around us when and if we have run away and had been that prodigal. And what do we do with our relationship with God in that situation as well? Well, stage one of relational conflict is rebellion. In Luke 15, starting in verse 11, it says this, To illustrate the point farther, Jesus told them this story. A man who had two sons, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So there's a power struggle here. And power struggles begin day one of our lives, it seems, and, some, and sometimes our goal is in relationships to help each other become a success. And sometimes our goals in relationships is to be the one that wins and is most powerful. And we have sometimes a power shift that is back and forth between relationships, power and control from one to the other. It happens in the church all the time. So even though maybe our primary goal, rather, that's the primary goal is to work for each other's success, We have the flesh, and that fleshly goal is always to win. We attempt to control. We attempt to control to the point of sometimes uh, being dysfunctional in relationships. It can turn to abuse in relationships. In the church, we try to sometimes control the baby Christian to the point that we're judgmental of their lives and we hold them to a greater standard than we were ever held to when we became Christians. Well, sometimes in spousal relationships, the, the person that is a faithful believer and how they treat the unbelieving spouse and possibly how that unbelieving spouse will eventually just say no more because of the power struggle, because of the control struggle. So Christians have power and control struggles. People have power, non-believers, believers, doesn't, doesn't really matter. Human beings have power and control struggles in all kinds of relationships. So we see though in this story, we see the son was incredibly rude and he's callous. And in essence, he's wishing that his father be dead. And many of us maybe wish this when we were younger because we didn't like what our parents were doing. Or we said, I hate you. I wish you were dead. Maybe that actually came out of your mouth in a huge blow up fight with your parents, or, or whatever your situation in life, the one that was taking care of you, when you, were, when, you were wrong, when you were young. This son, by asking for the inheritance, was basically saying that. I hate you, and I wish you were dead. Give me my money. And in Luke 15, 13, it says this. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Well, we know the end of this story is the kid goes broke and wants to come home. And I want to know exactly how long he was out in this distant land, because this is what I know is true about life, is that pleasure and sin is only for a season. And there's something to learn from this story that, 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 That that wine and song uh, behavior just going out and that party living um, really is only for temporary. It might feel good for a moment, but eventually, like in this story, you end up uh, feeling the heat and wanting to return. So what do we do when somebody rebels? Well, it's an important lesson here, that the father and how he acted towards the son. And the first principle that I have for us in... How, what we do in when somebody rebels against us is we let them go. We can't control everybody's behavior. It's not even right to try to control somebody's behavior, and it's impossible to control somebody's behavior and even try. So in Luke 15, 13, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And so this parent let their his child go. And from an objective point of view, and my children are still young uh, one is a little bit older and I'm seeing like a sense of sometimes rebellion and some things coming out of them you know just like all children do well eventually I need to allow them to learn and I need to allow them to learn from the school of hard knocks hopefully in a protected my child's young enough in a protected situation and so I want her to learn as much as possible from God and from me and, then, uh, and her mom, and then she will learn a lot from life. So people will learn from the world, other people, life, their job, and some will learn from the church and some will learn from God. And I pray that, that our, our children, and, the, and in this example of this child, that even in their rebellion, that they would lean on the values that we instilled in their lives at the foundation of their lives. But eventually we need to let them go. We need to let them learn from their mistakes. We need to let people, friends, the people around us, our coworkers, we need to allow our children to learn from, from their, their, their actions and their mistakes. Let them make their mistakes. We can't be a lawnmower parent. We can't be that helicopter parent all the time. Right? So in Luke 15, 13, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living let's talk about just general relationships. I think that when we try to control a lot of times when somebody has a different value system than ours, or they say or communicate different than, than we do, a lot of our behavior in trying to control and have power and keep them from doing certain things, it becomes abusive. And sometimes it becomes physically abusive, uh, much of the time emotionally and spiritually abusive. And so, we need to allow the people around us to uh, move into that stage of learning from their mistakes. Eventually, in Proverbs 20:30, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. So every time you take responsibility from someone, you take responsibility from someone. Let me read that again. Every time you take responsibility from someone, you take responsibility from someone. And so we need to allow people to learn and to grow emotionally and self-aware and mature in their life to take responsibility um, for their lives. So I see, uh, I see a lot of times in this situation a spousal um, illustration. Sometimes spouses know really how to demean Their partner in public. Uh, I've seen it a lot where a spouse will demean the other person or they'll just go back and forth or they'll make fun or they'll say that they're stupid or unable or, or whatever. But then the other spouse is being demeaned. What a lot of times I see is they'll make an excuse for that behavior. And they'll come back and go, oh, he's just joking. She's just kidding. Oh, they don't mean it. Oh, you're just too funny. Oh, get over yourself. Or something like that. They don't, they're not allowing the person to look really lame on their own. They're not allowing the person to look like embarrassed or, or to feel that, that pain of their mistake of demeaning another person. So how do we stop demeaning another person is... <laughs> is we eventually figure out that it's not right because we're embarrassed when we do it and we feel shame when we do it and we want to change our ways and so we need to feel sometimes the heat of our mistakes we need to feel the challenge of growth we need to feel the my goodness that was really rude i need to change and if that never goes through our head, and if that everyone's always taking away that pain from our lives, it's enablement. And so this father just allows the son to leave. He allows him to go. He let him go to make his own mistakes, to allow him to go without. And so here's an old adage we don't always change when we see the light but we will change when we feel the heat. And I do believe that it doesn't always take heat to change, but we will change when we feel the heat to change. So what have I learned most in my life from? I would say the mistakes that I've I've made. Uh, I've learned a lot from my my dad, I've learned a lot from my grandparents, I've learned a lot from my aunt, I've learned a lot from the people around me and my friends, I've learned a lot from you, and I've also learned a lot from my own mistakes. And so not only do we al- need to allow people to, to be challenged by their mistakes and to learn from their mistakes, the consequences of people's choices need to be placed on the proper person. I don't need to take responsibility for somebody else's choices. I don't need to enable somebody like that. That is actually an enablement when I take somebody's consequences away from them, from their choices. Now, as long as it's fair consequences, and as long as it's real consequences for choices, there's a lot of times where Unfairness happens, and I think we need to stand in the gap for people for that. And I think that we need to advocate and really make life equitable and equal and fair in life. Yet there's a lot of times where we just make poor choices, and we don't need to enable and take away people's consequences. So in Luke 15:14, about that time as money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and we began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. We reap what we sow. That's that's just the the old adage there that we're learning, and as we're we're in the pig bogs and we're trying to figure out life. Sometimes we need to let people hit their bottom empty pockets, empty stomach, empty life. Many times we need to feel that in our lives in order to change, especially if we've grown up in entitlement. You can see that this son, you know, he wasn't without, and he didn't grow up in a family without, right? There was an abundance there, and he was given an inheritance. There was actually something to give the son. So he obviously lived a probably entitled life and an abundant life and he never had empty pockets, empty stomach, empty life. And all of a sudden he found himself at this point of empty and had nowhere to turn. What would happen at that point if the father ran to his son's rescue and just gave him another check, handed him another bag of cash, gave him a new car and said, okay, let me prop you up again. What would happen? He would have not learned and he would have just gone down the same path. He wouldn't have gone down a different path probably would have wasted all of the money again and ended up back in the pig box. You know the story. You've seen the story. You might have lived the story. You might have had a kid that lived this story. It's a real story. What happens with our, with our relationships with our parents sometimes is our parents, we, me as a parent, we enable, we enable our children because we don't want them to feel that pain. I don't want my children to feel pain. Yet pain a lot of times creates a lot of growth. So what did the father feel at this point? Probably embarrassed. He probably felt really a lot of shame, maybe. My son is currently slopping pigs and looking at the pig bogs and looking at the pig poop and thinking, okay, this is my life. I'm wallowing in, my son is wallowing in, in poop. I can't believe this. But eventually we move out of rebellion And we get into these situations of of no return or feeling like there's no return, and we have a reevaluation of our life. We have a regretful or a or a contemplative at that moment spirit and we might begin to regret some choices that we have made. Now I, I know there's an old adage out there, live life with no regrets. I, I would say I understand that we don't need to live life with carried unnecessary guilt and shame because in the kingdom of God there is no guilt and there is no shame. I would say that there have been many times that I've regretted a lot of things that I've done in my life. And that's how I've learned to grow. That's how I've learned to become more self-aware. That's how I've learned to articulate myself just better, learning to communicate more kindly and not as, as harshly. So in 1517, it says, when he finally came to his senses, right, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. And I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he's having this evaluation because he has come to his senses. Now, that is really important because a lot of people, including myself at times in my life, have not, become, have not come to my senses. I've spent my time rebelling and I, I didn't come to sense. I didn't have any sense about myself. Well, this is he had a self-awareness he had a self-realization and epiphany and he came to his senses and he says this life is not all it is cracked up to be and hunger basically turned his heart home. So I would say that change comes when a lot of times we're desperate in, and, and real significant just wholesale change in our life definitely comes when we have hit these rock bottom places. I know that an alcoholic a drug addict, anybody that's an addict, when they get desperate enough, many times, not all the time, I do understand addiction, and I do understand that addiction can be just a lifelong disease in our lives that, that we, can, we are just, just powerless to. But a lot of times when we get desperate enough in our addictions, a lot of times when we get desperate enough in our using of just anything that inebriates pain in our lives, we will look and seek for some answers and some kind of change. And some people will look at us and, and it'll be different than the people that have always just enabled us. It'll be somebody different and our life will pick us up off the floor and they will take us to some real help. So what do I do when somebody is struggling? That's, that's the next like principle, set of principles I want to give us. What do we do when somebody is struggling? Well, first we pray, but it's not enough to just pray. Just thoughts and prayers. That, I, I'm just having a real problem with that right now, that Christians just throw out thoughts and prayers. Uh, one of the hardest things to do is to pray for somebody that especially has hurt you the most. Yet we need to pray and turn up the heat in our prayer. That we need to pray that, that, that people would turn to God and we need to commit people to God. We need to take things out of our own control and put them into God's control. We need to care, care about people and know that God is gonna care more about that person than I ever can care. And as we wait patiently, we need to do the hard work. And that's, that's the issue here that I think a lot of people miss is I think that the Father was doing a lot of hard work at home probably asking the question, what happened to my son and what is my side of the street in this story? What is going on in my family? I think that there is probably a lot of, even though this is a bigger illustration, I understand that, but in a household, when we have someone that leaves or when we have somebody that takes off, we need to make sure And have the self-awareness. I know that people take off for all kinds of reasons and it's not that other person's fault. I get it. That person left and I get it. It's not your fault they left. What is your side of the street in the relationship though? Because we all have a side of the street. How can I change in this situation? That person's gone, they left. How can I change in this situation? How can I learn from it? How can I grow through it? How can I be disciplined in it? basically to move to stage three. If I don't learn and if I don't grow, when that person comes back, I'm gonna be ticked. When that person comes back, I'm not gonna give them anything. I'm not gonna have grace, I don't wanna have love. You hurt me, you left. How can I grow in the time of waiting for that person to return? How can I grow in order to give grace, like the Father gave grace, To give love like the Father gave love. To give acceptance like the Father gave acceptance. In Luke 15, 20, it says this. So he returned home to the Father. And while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his Son, embraced him, and kissed him. His Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your Son." But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening this whole time. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now is returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party begins, right? So what do we do? When they turn around, this is going to be really difficult for us to absorb because it is telling us to have forgiveness. Even when we're hurt with abandonment and pain, God is asking us to grow in our love, loving them faithfully, having stubborn love for them. His Father saw Him and was filled with compassion for Him. We don't bail. We don't say forget it stop at the driveway turn around you're on your own no we have we have that stubborn love that does not quit we love them faithfully remember he came to his senses though and he returned home with a repentful heart that's key here because i think that we can misunderstand this passage and say well we just need to like No matter what they're doing, no matter how they're hurting me, no matter how they're hitting me, we need to accept them back. That's not what this is saying. He came to his senses. He came back with a repentful heart. And the love that the Father showed did not quit on the Son. And then he accepted him unconditionally. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. He initiated this acceptance. He saw him at the end of the driveway, past the cars, and he ran towards him. Just completely ran towards him and hugged him and kissed him, and he says there's no conditions here. I know you smell like pig poop, you don 't need to take a shower, you don 't need to take a bath, and then i 'll hug you because humans can work up a huge stench, pretty good stink and and he just ran to him in his huge stink and accepted him um, and accepted him faithfully. Did he approve of what he did? No, there's a difference between acceptance and approval, I think. You don't have to approve of everything that people do, especially if they've hurt a lot of people. That's not what forgiveness is. It's just like, oh, you know, let bygones be bygones, right? It's No, we need to make these relationships right before each other and before before God. But But the acceptance doesn't need to come after approval and that's where we mix things up in relationship we approve of somebody and then accept them that's not the way God works he accepts you and then we work towards towards a Christ-like life so when somebody that you know accepted you how did how did they accept you first they usually just accepted you right where you were at they loved you right where you were at. And the son's confession, he says, "Father, I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son." And so he had this like heart of this contrite heart that demanded the father's forgiveness. In Luke 15, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe to the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so, God doesn't rub it in at that moment. He didn't say, I told you so. I knew this would happen. God doesn't say that. The father didn't say that. The father just gives him a second chance. The father gives him a robe, more than a second chance. The father gives him a robe, which is a symbol of family status. Now you're a part of the family again. He gives him the ring, which is a signet ring, a sign of responsibility. He can use his father's money again. So not only does he accept him, not only does he love him, not only does he forgive him, but he reinstates him as a member of the family and gives him responsibility as a son. So many of us are prodigals. We headed right into rebellion in our youth, middle age, old age, doesn't matter. Many of us were prodigals at some time in our life. Some of you are prodigals right now. But when you were a prodigal, what did it feel like when you were accepted? Did no one want you back? How are you going to act differently than that? How are you going to act more like Christ to accept when people come back? How were you treated when you came back? Were you accepted and forgiven and you were, you were given responsibility and reinstated like this son and the father was? Well, I would say that, that, that he gave him so much and he felt so much love that that also created change in this son's life. And if you've ever experienced that, that's also what can change. As we feel the heat and we've been burned by life and we've made our own bad choices and we've reaped these consequences, nothing heals us like the Father's love. Nothing heals us like the Father's grace. Nothing heals us like the Father's words of, you are my son who I am well pleased Well, if you're in active rebellion right now, just remember that it is everyone's business. It's everyone's business, including God's, and we love you, and we want you to return. If you've been a prodigal, just know that, and you've experienced that love, wow, give that as an example To others and give that to the example of those that have have rebelled and run away from you And if you haven't experienced that let's learn from this story and just continually give love to people That return there's something really important in the story that I want to just bring up right at the end It's the it's the phrase ran to him And according to some of the work that's been done in the east this was a really important idea because running to your son would have been a sign of protection because the village elders and also maybe even the other son would have had a contract put on the youngest son to kill him so the other family members that was the culture of their day and the father protected him and ran to him possibly from being beat up stoned to death basically shielded his son from angry villagers. So this is where we see the father's love ultimately in the protection from death of this younger son. And that shows us the cross of Christ in this story. The father taking on the punishment that his son clearly deserved. And that's what makes this story the best story ever. So let's take communion with that in mind. I hope that you've prepared your bread and the juice or wine that you have at home. And this is the symbol where Jesus is is showing us the lavish love that he has for us, the, the undeserved grace that he's given us, that even in our rebellion, Jesus is there. And he's sitting around this table with such people And he says, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body given to you. This is my blood given to you as a sign, as a symbol, as a remembrance that you can take on a regular basis to show that I cover with my coat, my cover with my robe, your shame. I protect you from this punishment that I'm taking away the guilt and I'm taking away the shame in your life and eternal punishment. I'm going to give you eternal life. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. And thanks be to God. Father, thank you for, Lord, your love for us. And in this story, you showed such an amazing love for the son who rebelled and ran and returned home. Lord, you lavished him with your grace again. Lord, help us to lavish people with grace and love. Lord, no matter what, help us to accept. Help us to wrap our arms around them in acceptance. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you for the cross of Christ that that removes and covers our shame. Lord, and removes the punishment of sin. Lord, that we can have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.